Welcome to the West Point Church Podcast. Here you can find past and future messages. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates as soon as those sermons are posted. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a good week. Oh, wow. Well, uh, it has been um, so fun to go through uh, this, the book of Acts with you, and we're continuing that series this morning in Acts chapter 9. Uh, next week, just to give you a heads up, Pastor Michael is going to be continuing our series, so you want to be sure you're here for that. Uh, but I want to ask you a question as we jump into this passage this morning um, about the, the guy that I was named after. Um, so this question is, have you ever done the wrong thing for the right reason? Now think about that for a second. I'm going to tell you a little story. When I was a kid, I was playing basketball at my friend's house. We were, we were little. We were playing against his dad, and he was a good basketball player. He was far better than we were. And we were playing, and, and he looks at us, and he says, okay, game's tied. Next point wins. And I looked at him. I said, no, it's not. You're ahead 16 to 11, and we're playing to 20. Now, what I didn't have the understanding of at that moment, even though my motives were pure, and I, I didn't want to just you know take five bonus points, I wanted to win the right way, but there were a few things I didn't realize. First of all, he wasn't really trying to give us an accurate score. <laughs> he wanted to be done playing. <laughs> and then the second thing was he was going to give us a chance to win. He was going to let us win instead. Now, if you know me, you know that would never fly. Like, we've got to win the right way. And apparently you reap what you sow because <laughs> my oldest daughter is exactly like me in that way. Um, he ended up stealing the ball, scoring four points, and getting the game over with because he didn't want to wait for us to, to get to 20. Um, this morning, we're going to look at a guy who did a lot of wrong things but believed what he was doing was the right thing, that he genuinely thought he was serving God, that he was giving everything that he had in his, his passion for serving the Lord and completely missed the mark. And that is the, the story of Saul, who eventually became Paul. And we're going to look at his story. We're going to read through it together, and then we're going to come back and kind of break down this passage together. So Acts chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 1. You can follow along in your Bible. You can read along with us on the screen as well. It says, but Saul's, but Saul, wow, we're off to a great start here this morning. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, uh, sorry, to the way men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and he was falling to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, that, and you will be told what to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. 
And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. That's confusing right there. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. And in case you were wondering, Ananias, that's you. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you by the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened." All right, so let's go back over this passage and break it down a little bit. First of all, remember last week we talked about how the people of Israel were being scattered to all different parts of the world, how Jesus' commission was to go from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, last week we learned that that the church was being spread to Judea and Samaria because of the persecution in Jerusalem. And the same thing was happening as people were being pushed further into Samaria, or into uh, Damascus. Now, Damascus is part of Syria. So it's about a 200-mile journey from Jerusalem. And people are fleeing for their lives because of this Saul guy. They're leaving because of him and heading to places as far away as Damascus. Now, Saul could have looked at that and said, hey, I'm doing a pretty good job here. I've uprooted all these Christians. I've chased them out of Jerusalem. The threat has been eliminated. Uh, We're going to move on. But no, he was so zealous in what he felt that he was supposed to do. He was so hungry to do what, what he believed was the right thing to do that he was chasing these Christians 200 miles out of Jerusalem to go and arrest them in Damascus, bring them back to Jerusalem, and try them before a court. Now that is determination. That is, I I mean, you want to talk about somebody who's motivated. Saul is a motivated guy. But God intervenes in his life in an incredible way. Says that as he was on the way to Damascus, in fact, says that he as he was nearing the city, so he'd almost finished this journey that had taken days. He's getting close to the city, and suddenly a light from heaven blinds him. But none of, none of Saul's crew that was hanging around him could see this light. And then a voice from heaven speaks. And they can hear the voice, but they can't see the light. And he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you, Lord? Like, I know voices from heaven. Like, that's got to be God. But, but obviously he wasn't understanding it in that moment. And he says, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Now, that must have been a a shocking moment for Saul. Uh, We don't know exactly what was going on inside his head. He doesn't get into that description thoroughly. But we know that something 
inside him broke at that moment. This supernatural occurrence, this voice from heaven did something to Saul. It blinded him on the outside. It blinded his physical vision, but his spiritual eyes were opened. And so everybody's freaked out by this voice that that came out of the sky, and Paul can't see now, or Saul can't see now. They took him into the city of Damascus, led him by the hand. And it says that, that he was so distraught, that he was so confused with what was going on, that he did not eat for three days. He just sat there and prayed and listened to the voice of God. Now, we're going to look at the first part of this passage, and then we're going to come back to the part about Ananias at the end here. Two things I want us to notice about this first section that we've read. The first one is that if, if we want God to use us and work in us and do things through us, then sometimes we have to be willing to confront the possibility that we might be wrong. It's funny, I didn't get any amens for that in first service either. I don't know. Welcome to church. You're wrong about stuff. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's not like, it's not the most encouraging thought in the world, right? Like, we hate that idea that we might be wrong about something. In fact, some of us, including myself, uh, I shared in first service, like, this message this week this is one that I needed. Like, listen, if it does something for you, great. But this message is for me. Because there are times in my life where I have to confront the possibility that I might not have a full understanding, that I might be wrong about something. And those moments don't necessarily feel real good. In fact, sometimes I'm so determined that even though I know I'm wrong, I can still argue that I'm right. And even though I know I'm wrong, I can maybe convince everybody else that I'm not. We do that sometimes. In fact, our history as Christians is littered with proof of that concept. That we'll sometimes do the wrong thing with the right motives. That even though our heart is for God and we're pursuing Him, that we mess it up, that we get it wrong, that we twist it sometimes. That's why it's so important for us to evaluate our beliefs and evaluate the things that we think that we know are right through the Holy Word, through the Scripture, through the understanding that we have that comes through studying God's Word. If we can't do that, if we can't meticulously look at the decisions that we're making and filter them through the Word of God, then we're at some point going to get it wrong. And it's, and it's a process that we need to be doing continually. You know, I think of some of the, the mistakes that the church has made in the past. Uh, I, I read a, a book um, called Bonhoeffer about this guy Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he talked about how the church... In, in Germany was complicit with the Nazis because it was much easier for them to, to recognize their authority. And, and so be, instead of standing up to what the government was saying, they went along with it. And there was a, a small faction of the church that stood against that. They faced incredible persecution as a result. And looking back on history, you're like, yeah, that was totally wrong. And it's a lot easier for us to see from behind what they went through. But at that time, it was a difficult decision. We look at our history in America and some of the choices that that we've made 
in the name of God in the past too and, and, and made some pretty poor decisions as believers. We go back even further and look at the Crusades and, and what happened there. I mean, throughout history, we have made some poor decisions in the name of following Christ. And it's not that the heart was, wasn't in the right place. It's not that people weren't pursuing God. It's that they, they failed to stop and evaluate their decisions based on the word of God. And that is something that we need to be on guard for because we are fallible human beings. Completely able to make the wrong decision. Completely able to see things wrong. And we need the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So, understanding that, that we might be wrong. You know, I think the perfect example of this is being a parent. Because, can I tell you something? You think you know everything about being a parent until you have a child. And then, every, yeah, you're all laughing now because you know it's true. <laughs> everything you thought you knew was a lie, right? And then you think you know everything until you have a second kid. You're like, oh, I figured it out now. I know it now. And then you have that second kid. You're like, wait a second. This wasn't supposed to work this way. It worked totally differently for the first kid. By the time you have a third kid, and believe me, I'm here, you realize you never knew anything and you still don't know anything. <laughs> right? It works that way in our relationship with God, too. Like, the, the more we begin to know his character and his nature, the more we realize the more broken and fallen and messed up we are. And the more we need his Holy Spirit every single day. If you think you've reached the point of spiritual maturity, then you're in for a rude awakening. If you're willing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, we are constantly growing. We're constantly maturing. That's why this call to repentance is a continual one. It's a day-by-day -day call. It's if we ever get to the place where we stop growing, then we're ultimately um, beginning the process of dying. So this is so evident in the life of Paul. He was a Pharisee. He was committed to his faith. He was committed to, to carrying out what he believed that God was calling him to do. He took religious persecution to new levels. And, and what's incredible about his story is the second thing that I want to highlight from this first part of this passage is that no one is too far for God to reach. No one is too far for God to reach. If we can learn something from Paul, it's that, yeah, we need to constantly be evaluating what we believe is right. But, I mean, if you talk about anybody who had his heels dug in anymore, it was, it was Paul. He was firmly committed to the path that he was on, and it took a major interruption in his life. It took a blinding light from heaven, a miraculous like loss of vision, a voice from heaven to intervene in his life because he was headed down a certain path. But here's what I find incredible. God didn't just God could have just said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to take him out. Then the church doesn't have to worry about him anymore, and I can fulfill my plan without him being in the way. But God did not do that. You see, we already talked about doing the wrong thing for the right reasons, and, and I believe that God saw Paul's heart 
And then he realized there's something there that I can use. There's something there that's worth redeeming. And listen, I believe we can take that principle and apply it to the people in our life. There are people that uh, in my life that I've been praying for for a very long time. And frankly, I've come to the place now where sometimes it feels like it's absolutely hopeless. Like, like I'm chasing after something that's never going to happen. There are other people that maybe I've only known them for a short time, but I'm like, okay, God, I, I just don't see it happening here. I don't see this changing. But can I tell you something? If God can do that for Paul, he can do it for your friend. He can do it for your family member. He can do it for the person that you're praying for just as easily. Our God is in the miracle-working business. And he takes brokenness and, and restores it to something new. You know, when, when Paul said in Romans, that God works all things for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose. He takes things that were broken and ugly and bad and turns them into good. He wasn't just saying that. That was his testimony. It's like, you want evidence of that? Look at my life. Look at what God has taken me from. Brokenness, destruction, headed on a path, murdering people. In the name of God. And he took me and redeemed that passion that I had that was being used by the enemy, that was being used for destruction, and he turned it around for something good. That is encouraging. That is something to hope in. That is life-giving. We, we can be confident that our God can take a situation that seems absolutely hopeless and turns it for something good. Uh, this week, I, I, I saw something really cool, and I see Ben's here. Uh, Ben's wife, Samantha, her dad just recently passed away. And I got to watch a little bit of the uh, funeral service on the live stream the other day, and uh, I'll tell you what, Samantha preached a sermon <laughs> to her family. Uh, you want to hear a story of redemption. She's hearing the story of how God found her dad late in life, how he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, and it changed him. What an incredible truth that was. I was so proud of Samantha. She let her know that. That's incredible how God redeemed his life. There are, this, this, these past few months have, have been really challenging for me, thinking about, you know, things that God laid on my heart for this year and for our church, and I just had a real honest conversation with God because one of the things that he put on my heart this year was that we would really renew our focus on seeing the lost come to know Christ. That would be something that, that would be a theme for this year. And I'm like, okay, God, how are we supposed to do that? We can't even meet together right now. We can't even have a church service. And I'm like, I, I don't get it, God. Why did you put this on my heart? Paul, I don't need a church service to reach people. And so it began with this question, 
who has God put in my life that I can share the gospel with? And last week I shared with you that I was uh, hanging out with a friend this week that I, I ref soccer with, and I couldn't share this in first service because he sometimes watches our live stream. So, <laughs> But uh, I, uh, I had the opportunity to hang out with him this week and, and spend some time with him, and we got into it an incredible conversation. I got to hear his story of how he was raised. And, um, you know, at, at one point he's like, I, I just, I'm not a religious person at all. And I said, I'm not a religious person at all either. I hate religion. You know, I, I, I mean, we got in this incredible conversation. I got to share a little bit about what I believe about God. And, you know, he shared this story with me uh, about the day that he got married it's like, I went out for a run that morning and ran into these, these three people out of my run in, in my neighborhood that I had never seen before. I lived there his whole life. He grew up in that neighborhood. He's like, I, I, I was just talking with them. They asked what I was doing today, and I said, oh, I'm getting married later today. And they're like, oh, congratulations. Can we pray for you? And, you know, he said at the time, he's like, oh, I don't really believe in prayer, but, hey, I didn't want to be rude, so I let him pray for me. And so these three people he'd never seen before seized that opportunity and prayed for him. And he's like, you know, to this day, when I'm going through a difficult time in my marriage, I think about that moment. This is somebody who has no faith in God, who doesn't believe that God is real. But he's like, I, I kind of feel like in that moment, there was a little bit of divine intervention. That was the word he used. I was able to say, hey, yeah, that's... That's God showing his heart for you, that he cares about you. And I think sometimes, like, my friend, it, I feel like it's, it's kind of a, a hopeless cause sometimes because he's just so opposed to anything having to do with faith. But I believe in a God that can intervene in the most difficult circumstances, that can meet somebody who is in a position where they've rejected everything about who God is because he loves them and he cares about them and he can do the miraculous in their life. That's the God that we serve. And I'm so grateful that in my brokenness, God found me. I'm so grateful that in my stupidity and my ignorance that he keeps working on me. And if God will do that for me, He'll do it for you. He'll do it for the people in your life. There's hope in that. Now, as we close today, I want to just share a little bit about the rest of this story, what happened with this guy, Ananias. Now, I want you to put yourself in his shoes for a second. Just imagine that you're Ananias, and God has told you, I want you to travel 200 miles away to Damascus and go pray for this guy, Saul. By the way, He's a serial killer. He's been killing Christians. And the only thing that's stopping him right now is that he can't see anymore. He's blind. So I want you to pray that his eyes would be opened again. And Ananias is sitting there saying, God, if I pray for him and he gets healed, the first thing he's going to do is start killing Christians again. And the first one he's going to see is me. This is a horrible idea. I mean, can you imagine the thoughts that were going through his head in that moment? 
You got to love Jesus a lot to be obedient in that circumstance. But Ananias goes, and I'll tell you what. Verse 17 shows, shows you something about this guy, Ananias. He sits right down next to this murderer, puts his arm around his shoulder. Verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Hello, this guy has been killing your friends. I would say there's probably a pretty good chance that this guy Ananias knew Stephen pretty well, who we read about in just a couple chapters ago that, that Saul orchestrated his execution. And without knowing him, without hearing his story at all, walks up to this man, lays his hand on him, and calls him brother. Only the love of God can do that. That's the only thing that can motivate somebody to respond that way. When we see people with the value that Jesus sees them, it changes everything about the way that we respond to them. It changes everything about the way that we treat people. It changes everything about the way that we see people. We don't see them as our enemy anymore. It's, it's miraculous that he could walk into that situation and say, brother. That's incredible. That's what the love of God does. Now, I'm sure Ananias was scared. I'm sure he was nervous in that moment. But he trusted God enough to be obedient in that situation. And he was faithful with what God had called him to do. And as we close today, I said this in first service, I was thinking about how we would end and thought we'd end singing a song. But I, I want us to do something a little bit different this morning. You know, if, if we're going to do what we talked about and, and really allow the Holy Spirit to lead and direct us as believers in Christ, then we need to give him an opportunity to speak to us. And so here in the silence with the only noise that's going on are the fans that are blown above us. I just want to just take a second right now and listen to the voice of God. And if there's something in your life, something that, that he's bringing to your mind, to your attention, that needs to be addressed, we want to give him the opportunity to do that today. To change the way that we think in repentance and to respond to the call of Jesus Christ. Let's do that right now.